0: I think it's really important that when management teams are picking who Mm. they want to work with, they they make sure that they're confident that the people that they are partnering with are going to provide more than capital, that they're Mm. going to provide that sort of knowledge, the network base, that they're going to work with them in difficult times uh, and also support growth.
1: Hi, and welcome to the North Edge podcast, Beyond the Capital. I'm Lucy Mills, partner responsible for value creation and ESG, and your host for this series. At North Edge, building better businesses isn't just about providing capital. It's about building open and honest relationships, creating responsible businesses, driving value through collaboration, engagement, and partnership, and providing ongoing support. But we wouldn't be able to achieve any of that without the great people we have in our business, our portfolio, and our network. And in this series, we'll be speaking to those people to find out more about their stories, their experiences, and how they have worked to build better businesses. On today's episode, we've been joined by Prem, who is the North Edge COO. Thank you, Prem, for joining us on today's episode. And um, As we do with every episode of Beyond the Capital, we're going to start with learning a little bit more about you. So please, can you tell us a little bit more about your background, can um, kind I of start in at the very beginning, and how you've ended up in your current role at North Edge?
0: Yeah, so I guess starting at the very beginning, I was born in India. Uh, it was then called Madras, now Chennai. Um, and my parents moved over to the UK when I was about four or five. They moved six months ahead of me, so I was left in India on my own or with my grandparents. But I, I tend <laughs> to tell the story as I was left there on my, my own for six months. <laughs> Uh, I was definitely put on a plane on my own to come from India to the UK when I was five, which was pretty scary. (laughs) um, But arrived here, settled in Stops and Tees for a couple of years, um, moved around a bit of time in Watford, etc. But the majority of my sort of formative years, I grew up in, in Yorkshire and Batley and Dewsbury. So I think I'm an honorary member of the Yorkshire sort of mafia within North Edge. So I, yeah. I, put, I put myself part of that group. <laughs>
1: uh, it's a great group to be in Prem, so I w- yeah. I don't blame you. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> definitely support Yorkshire cricket. So <laughs> despite now being Manchester based, um, I think uh, that, that's where I would call home. That's what I sort of recognise as being the place I spent most time as when I was growing up as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, both my parents were doctors um and that's what they'd come over to the UK to do uh they both really loved their jobs I ended up uh, which is quite an unusual route for where I've ended up but I ended up (laughs) going to medical school briefly uh so I spent very quickly and probably before I went because I did science A levels and that was not what I was really interested in but in order to be a doctor I had to do that so very quickly realized that wasn't for me and I switched over to doing economics and politics and then found things that I was much more interested in Mm -hmm. uh that's probably a lesson for me that you've got to be brave enough to when you don't get things right initially make the call to to switch to do something that you enjoy um, yeah. uh, and find interesting because just progressing you know because you think it's the right thing to do won't get you to where you really want to be
1: yeah so what was it in the economics and politics that kind of piqued your interest and you felt more comfortable in that space than at medical school
0: I think a lot of it's just been about what I was interested in. So if I went back to my A-levels, if I'd done the A-levels I probably was most interested in, I'd probably have done English, history, and geography, Mm. or economics. Uh, I was probably better at that kind of taking information, analysing it, um, then putting my own view on, you know, what the right answer might be. Or sometimes there isn't an answer. It's just your viewpoint of what happened many Mm. hundreds of years ago, whatever. Um, So that, is things that I'm good at and enjoy doing um and so I, I want to find something where I was studying something that I actually enjoyed mm. so it was going back to that I think if I looked at the two aspects economics might be a bit more useful but the politics is probably the more interesting element of, of what I did I mm. had a really um one of the politics lecturers that I had was a really great lecturer in um US politics in particular um and one of my favorite courses I did was on um, the U.S. Supreme Court. So it feels like a really narrow area, but it's a fascinating yeah. aspect of the whole of U.S. history and politics. Uh, and even now, when I read things about the, the things that are going on with sort of the Trump administration's appointing of Supreme Court ju- justices and what they have then done with certain rulings around Roe v- versus Wade, um, there's some of what I studied still has residence now, 25, 30 years later. Uh, And I think that's fascinating. I think uh, also, again, uh, an idea of how one very good uh, lecturer can make a big difference to, you know, one's own feelings about a subject uh, or topic. So So
1: you you read Economics and Politics and then went where? uh,
0: Then went to Deloitte to train as an accountant uh, in London. I had done a um, summer placement uh, at Deloitte and a couple of other places over the sort of my first and second year summer holidays. Um, mm-hmm. And thought, oh, this is, you know, I, I had done it in Bristol where I was at university, but I thought um, quite like to move to London, see what that's like. Uh, and then I also thought, well, I, I'll enjoy this role enough to, um, to to do something, but it keeps open my options for later. Mm. I think at the age of 21, it's very difficult to understand what you really want to do for the rest of your life. And particularly having started off a medical route, which would have kept me probably occupied for 40 years, um, this felt like this left my options open and gave me a sort of a broader background, understanding of the financial markets and coming from a different country initially, but also with parents who didn't know anything about financial community, I didn't have sort of somebody saying, oh, this is a great place to go within um, the finance world. So accounting seemed like a a good sort of grounding Mm -hmm. and equally very much enjoyed it, enjoyed the things I learned, but also um, people always ask me now about their kids and whether they should do accounting. And I say, yes, because actually you do get a good grounding, but you also meet and you work with, they're very big intakes of people. So you mm. work with a lot of like-minded people. Uh, and it's its a quite a nice introduction into the working environment where there is a big firm that's supporting you, helping you to learn, training and development on all kinds of softer skills alongside your, um, I guess, academic training. Yeah. And um, you meet a great bunch of people who've become friends, but also form a great network for your later life, because mm. they come up the ranks with you as, as you mm. progress. So I enjoyed my time at Deloitte, did three years in audit, and then a one year in corporate finance. Um, and that year in corporate finance really pr- um, focused on valuations. Now, mm-hmm. this is more valuations in terms of comm- commercial disputes or tax affairs or things like that. But uh, it was a great grounding and actually very helpful in the in my private equity role many years later. But uh, that was sort of as, as many things I've done fairly accidental. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a deliberate choice. I just happened to know somebody who worked in that department and had really enjoyed it and said it's a great place to work, and that seemed appealing to me. Um I kind of knew, even though I enjoyed Deloitte, that I didn't want to stay as an advisor. I wanted to be more involved in businesses. So I wanted to get and work within a corporate environment and be responsible yeah. uh, for my actions. I think both are very valid career choices, but I, it just depends on what you are likely to be most dri- you know, focused by and driven by. Mm-hmm. And for me... I knew that I wanted to get out into the corporate world. I initially worked in a in a very big firm, NatWest Bank, uh, for a few years in their strategy and then investor relations departments, uh, before moving on to a much smaller technology business. Unfortunately, that was just at the time of the dot com crash, rather than the dot com bubble. So mm-hmm. it, it was a, it was a tough time to be working in, in in that business, but again, an opportunity to learn a lot. And, and from a personal perspective, what it taught me was I prefer working in smaller businesses where I have more ability to change things directly and can see those changes happen Mm. quickly rather Mm. than being in a a vast corporate structure where, you know, there's lots of um, there's lots of process to and there's nothing wrong with process. I think it just often it can take a long time for ideas that you have to translate into actions. Yeah. And that was for me something, again, a personal learning knowing that I preferred working in smaller businesses Um, another thing is I probably don't enjoy managing big teams of people it wouldn't have been the right career for me to have managed a team of 100 finance people I'd much prefer prefer the sort of intellectual challenge of working on complex problems working with teams of people to, to understand how to get get through those issues but not to not for my role to have sort of ten direct reports, and you yeah, know, with a bigger team underneath. it just it's just not my strength. Yeah, um so I knew that I wanted to be in 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 smaller businesses. Um, I ended up um in private equity through a job that I applied for because I found it you know, it looked interesting, didn't know, didn't have a strong view in my mind, oh I must go into private equity. It was mm. just a role that appeared interesting applied for it, um, worked at a very big private equity firm initially called Collar Capital, and then have spent time at, um, basically, then have stayed in private equity for the last 18 years. Hmm. Um, and the last six of those have been at North Edge. So, came to North Edge as CFO, having worked my way through the ranks of um, in the finance departments of other private equity firms, uh, came to North Edge as CFO, and then two or three years ago, moved on to the role of COO, which is slightly broader based and covers, you know, more areas. So whilst I still have overall responsibility for finance, um, we've got Charlie who runs and looks after the finance function. uh, And, you know, my involvement there has decreased and Mm -hmm. I spend more time now on other areas such as IT, HR, compliance, legal, um, so a number of different uh, aspects and also um, helping the other partners on investor relations so it, it sort of encompasses quite a lot of different functions mm. within the organisation which which probably suits my mentality and having things that are interesting and varied and challenging uh, uh, and you know no no two days are the same.
1: So what was it then I guess Private equity, like me, I kind of didn't know that I wanted to get into the world of private equity. And then when I landed in it, I thought, yes, this is for me. What What was the thing for you, Prem, that made you think this is the right home for me in terms of an industry? Um,
0: I think I quite like seeing the life cycle of businesses. And, and actually, it's interesting. The first private equity firm that I started in was a secondary fund so it was one step removed from yeah. the actual businesses and when I was offered the opportunity to go into a sort of buyout fund one of the things that really appealed was getting to understand the businesses better because if you're in a um, a fund that has maybe stakes in a thousand companies there's no way that you can understand mm. what's going on in a thousand companies it, it's much more a numerical um, and data analysis game yeah. there But if you are in a private equity firm with um, 20 companies, and and that seems, you know, when you first think about that, I think, well, there's no way you can possibly know what's going on in 20 companies, but the longer you've been somewhere, you've probably seen those companies come into the portfolio, seen all the detailed investment committee papers, diligence reports, really understand, probably met the management team on a number of Mm -hmm. occasions. Even, Even for somebody like me, who's not on the investment team, I will have met management team members over over time so you get to know the people involved you get to know the companies you get to know what our original thesis was yeah and you get to see how that plays out and almost invariably it's different because the world changes uh uh, and things aren't ever going to stay constant which is great but it means um i know, know for you and your colleagues on the portfolio side there's there's constant challenges that come up and it's about how we react to them yeah uh But it's really rewarding to see the progress of some of those companies and to feel like you understand them are a small part of Mm. their successes. Mm. Uh, And then, you know, where they face challenges that you can, again, be a small part of helping them to address their challenges. And we stand with the management teams. And I think that is really true about private equity, that people don't see that Mm. it's a very supportive partner to management teams. Uh, and we we sort of share in their successes, but we also feel the pains when things don't yeah. go well uh, or when there's challenges to face.
1: Yeah, and I think that is I think that is a big misconception about kind of the whole industry in that we are there supporting management teams, high fiving them, but also in, in the trenches with them. Would you say that's something that you've experienced across every organization that you've worked with from a private equity perspective or do you think at North Edge we we do that slightly differently
0: i think so as i said it, when you when i was at the first place which is a very good firm but it was just too far removed mm. what they were doing was trying to choose good general partners good private equity houses to be invested with so that they could trust that the people they invested with were willing to do that kind of work uh, and I think it's really important that um, when management teams are picking mm. who they want to work with, they, they make sure that they're confident that the people that they are uh, partnering with are going to provide more than capital, that they're mm. going to provide that sort of knowledge, the network base, um, that they're going to work with them in difficult times um, uh, and also support growth and and be you know explain to explain to management right? what are what are we going to do that is going to help your business achieve as much as possible over the next three, four, or five longer time span? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have got better and better at doing is uh, creating um that that sort of support network, both from the from the beginning with the new investment team meeting uh, um management companies all the way through to the work that the portfolio team do about really saying this is how we're going to help you with value creation, and Mm -hmm. these are the core things that we think if we focus on, it will make the business better, grow, and be more valuable over time. I think that's what we, I mean, we can always get better, but I think that's where we've made real strides, and I think that that's resonating with management teams in terms Mm -hmm. of being able to explain to them that this is um, something we can support them with, that it's repeatable. That it's consistent yeah. across lots of different companies. It, 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 there is no cookie cutter approach. It's not. It's not like here's a form, fill it in, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's like what, what's the best thing for your business, and how do we do? How do we go about it? What support do we need? Who do we need to bring in mm-hmm. uh, to help us? Uh, but we've got that within our sort of community. So, yeah. You know, let let us share some of that burden, and let us also, you know, save some time because we have seen situations where they might not be exactly the same but they've been pretty similar so we can maybe save and shortcut some of that time and help you get to the right answer quicker
1: yeah yeah I think that is something that at North Edge we have been super focused on and hopefully our management teams are are kind of reaping the rewards of us doing that what else would you say makes us different from a private equity perspective so you've worked in the industry now for quite a long time in in multiple different businesses in multiple different roles how would you say the industry has changed since you started working in it? But also, what is it that North Edge does that is? What's our secret sauce? What makes us special, Prem?
0: Yeah. It, I think it's always people, isn't it? That uh, y- you have to have the right group of people together at a point in time to to to, and that if you get that group of people together, you can make a very successful business. Yeah. So I think. How's the industry changed over a long period of time? It, 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 I, mean, I joined 18 years ago, and it wasn't quite the sort of cottage industry that people might make out to be. It was, it was a pretty professional industry e- even then. Yeah, uh, there were some big firms back then. It has grown enormously um, since that time, but it wasn't it wasn't quite the cottage industry even back then. Um, I think things have got more institutionalised. I think. Uh, There is more process, there is more consistency and repeatability. Uh, uh, But I think all of those things are good. I I, I know a lot of people complain about regulation and compliance, but the reality is um, there are a lot of positives that come from those kind of things as well. Uh, Not least of which is it makes a wider group of investors comfortable that they're Mm. investing in a very mature asset class, which is safe and secure for, um, you know, largely people that they invest for will be think people like pensioners, life insurance companies. So it's really important that they have the security mm. that what they're investing in is not just something that's going to make money, um, but but it's something that can make money in a sort of trustworthy, reliable environment. Um, and I I'd probably think about that more coming from an operational perspective, mm. that that we need to provide that to investors because otherwise... Uh, they don't have the confidence to invest in private equity firms. So I think that has, uh, the industry has become more professional, more Uh, institutionalised. And yes, there's more regulation, there's more compliance, but I don't think that's just a bad thing. Mm. It is, you know, it's part of the necessary infrastructure.
1: Yeah, it's part Uh, of our industry growing up, isn't it? Just like how actually some of the tools and processes that we've put in place at North Edge over the last few years are us, growing up as an organization and us being able to scale and you know we ask our management teams to do it because we know it creates value so the same has to be true for us in terms of our industry but also our our business so I agree I think it's as long as it's not too much of that and so you can't get on with what we actually all love to do I think as long as it doesn't get in the way to your point actually it it creates a kind of an easier environment for everybody to operate within doesn't it
0: yeah Uh, and your point about manage you know, we us asking management teams to do things and then doing it ourselves. I think it's really powerful as well when you can sit in front of them and say, uh you know, we do this because we think it adds to our business. And mm-hmm. so we're already doing it. We're not asking you to do something we're not doing for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really powerful. And I think that, you know, helps convince people, okay, they're not just imposing things on me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they think this is this is good for their business and they think it's good for our business and, and we're all working together on it. So I think that's important. If I look at what we have done, uh, as well as all of the things we've done externally, I think some of the things I'm proud of that we've done internally are how we've approached our sort of um, people processes. So, you know, putting the entire firm through Living Leader, uh, trying to make sure that we uh, all understand ourselves better and then think mm. about how that impacts on other people. So I think what we've done internally, I'm proud of. I think we've made big strides on that as well. And we've thought about that a lot. So we started, you know, talking more about diversity and inclusion a few years ago. And when we did it, we started doing it from a almost a position of embarrassment of, oh we're not diverse enough. And and I think mindset wise we had to change that to thinking Actually, what's important is that we want to get better yeah, and we want to lay foundations to make sure that we are getting better. Um, And we started that by thinking about how inclusion came first. So how do we make sure that North Edge is a welcoming, um, fun, varied place to work that anybody can feel um, that they can come and work at? And then that should encourage diversity and then putting in sort of more process driven aspects to encourage diversity, but there's no point doing that if either people don't want to come and work at North Edge because they they have this impression that it's a scary private equity firm yeah. that isn't right for them, or when they get here, it is a scary private equity firm that isn't right for them. So <laughs> those are bad outcomes. Uh, and so I think by changing that first, that change that mentality to worry less about where we were and think more about where we're going, and then really working hard on that. I think that has changed and improved the culture of the firm. I think it was, you know, when I joined, one of the reasons I joined, and I think something I found over my career is that, as well as, you know, interesting, varied work, challenging work, it's been really important to me, culturally, the the firm that I work in and that I like the people that I work with, and I respect them, because you spend so much of your time at work that, If you don't have that, then, you know, it's an awful long week (laughs) if you're not in that position. Uh, And so that was really important to me. And I think so when I came to North Edge, I thought, well, this is this is a really nice place to work. I really like people there, respect them. I think they have high integrity. Another Mm. thing that's really important to me. Uh, But. Doesn't mean you can stop. And I think an area that we probably were a little weak on was that diversity and inclusion piece. And not in a not in a sort of uh, uh, thought out way. It was just by omission that we hadn't spent enough time working on it. And what yeah. I'm proud of is that we have really worked on that. And I think it's become an even better place to work. And it's become an even better place to work for probably a more varied set yes. of employees, which is how you build diversity and how you build better outcomes because you can retain you can retain more people and you're going to attract people with a different mindset, which should give you better results and better outcomes.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing that I'm really proud of there is actually, you know, we are very focused on all aspects of diversity, not just the diversity that you can see. So really thinking about what is people's experience and how do we have a, a different melting pot of experiences, whether that's educational whether that's culture you know whatever that might be actually more more perspectives give us a better rounded view of lots of things that we're that we're looking at and I think you know to your point Prem we're never we're never going to be done we should never be done right Mm. you know that's the whole I think that's what is actually so great around D and I and ESG actually it it encourages you to be better every day but, by intentionally focusing on it, actually, the the movement that we make is is that much more significant. Um, yeah. so I think it's I think it is really powerful. And I'm very proud of of how far we've come and and the team, but also excited for to see what what is still to come and what we will still achieve, because I think we're only just scratching the surface, which is amazing in terms of then, So you've kind of had a a long, varied career, Prem. Give us some pearls of of wisdom. What what would you say is the most important lesson that you have learned in your career that you'd like other people to take heed?
0: Um, So at a sort of high level, I think it's really important to understand yourself, your motivations, your interests, and to follow... Those areas, rather than thinking, trying to map out, oh, I should do this because I'll be successful, or you know, I think this is a good place to end up. I think you need to work out what your strengths are and what your interests are, and and find things that you love doing. And if you mm-hmm. do that and do them well, uh, so you know, there, there's definitely an element of you have to be committed to doing those things and you have to work hard. But it's much easier to do that on things that you're really interested in. Um, so understand what that is. And that might mean you have to move around a bit mm. to work out w- what the right thing is, because I'm not sure that many 21-year-olds really know that straight away. Um, so be prepared in that early part of your career to to experiment, to move around, to, to work out what's right for you. Uh, and to be really honest about what your strengths are. There'd I mean, you know, no point me looking at some of my successful friends with sales careers and thinking, I should do that. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's just not my sort of skill set. And it would be something that I'd probably wake up and be terrified of doing every day. uh, And therefore, probably wouldn't be very good at it. Um, Yeah. And even if I was good at it, would it make me happy? Probably not. So that's something I would suggest that people are, you know, and it's difficult sometimes because I think at 24, I had the opportunity to go and work in the US for a year or two, but I thought, oh, well, it's taking me off my. Career path, and looking back on it now, you realise that eighteen months away or two years away would have not made any difference, probably in the long run. But what it would mm. have done is given me a really interesting other experience, probably give me strengths in in other aspects of my life of living in a different country and working somewhere else, uh, learning new skills that would have also served me well. So yeah, I think it's hard to say that to people and for them to understand that when they are in those earliest formative stages of their career. But that that, that is something that I would say to people.
1: Yeah, and what would you say? What would you say is the thing that's that's driven you? So I think that that bit around knowing your strengths has kind of got you to the right place. You found the right home from a private equity perspective, industry wise, and your role. What is it that's driven you? Because even within your kind of functional role in, within private equity, you know you are now CEO of North Edge. So what what is it that's driven you? Throughout that bit of your career once you once you'd found the right home? I think
0: ultimately you do have to, if you want to be good at something, you'll probably often have a drive and a determination to to succeed. And you'll be ambitious and you'll and if you are, you'll probably be driven to work really hard and make it happen. Often it's very unlikely that things are given to you. I think there are a lot of lucky breaks you can get along the yeah. way, and you know accidents and circumstances that help you in your career. And I think it'd be arrogant to think uh, that everyone who is successful doesn't have those lucky breaks along the way. But I think you do need to have uh, a certain level of ambition and drive to want to have the top job in, in in a firm. Now, that could be CEO of a FTSE company or it could be you know, uh, COO of a thirty-five person, but successful smaller private equity business. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. You've still got to want to to do it, and you've then got to follow up on that. And that's an element of yes, you need to have an appropriate level of skill and experience, but you also need to really want to succeed. In and that there's an element of hard work and drive that comes into that. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have to prove yourself because almost in a smaller business, it's just more obvious that you know, whether you have the ability to do what's necessary or not. And then on top of that, I think a smaller business is all about putting your hand up and saying, yeah, I'm willing to do that or get involved there Um, because, you know, we don't have 30 people who can do different things and we don't have departments that do different areas. So when you have good people and they put their hands up and say, yeah, I, I, you know, I've got, you know, I haven't got capacity or I have got capacity, but I am still happy to get involved and help them out. Um, because there isn't a person whose job it is to do that. We all have to do it. Yeah. What
1: well, what would you say to people then if they were kind of in in the finance community but not really thought of private equity as a career option before, or maybe they're at the start of their journey from a, a finance perspective? What would you say about the private equity industry? What, what advice would you be giving to them? Because actually your role in a PE company, despite the fact you would be completely qualified to to work in the deal team. You don't. That's not that's not the path that you've taken from a PE perspective. So what advice would you be giving to younger Prem or, or people that are kind of on the start of their journey?
0: Yeah, well, and, and actually I have to do this quite a lot in terms of over the last 15 years, I've recruited a lot of people into finance teams or private equity houses and, you um, Generally, the first thing I say is this isn't a route into the deal team, so <laughs> make sure we all un- understand that. But uh, um, but it's more about I say, look, if you want a very structured, formal career path, you're unlikely to get that in a, in a private equity uh, house, and particularly in a smaller firm that doesn't have a 30-person mm-hmm. finance department. So that that's not what this is about. If you need that structure. Uh, uh, and that line of sight. This probably isn't the right place for you. But if you're sort of comfortable being in a slight grey area, slight unknown, uh, and know that you're going to get interesting, varied work with some intellectually challenging aspects within that. Um, now, that doesn't mean you can't do the routine reporting that you know most accountants have to do. That that exists. But you'll also get to see an awful lot of really interesting companies yeah you'll get to do a lot of interesting work those companies might get, make you think oh, actually what I want to do is go and work in a portfolio business that mm. that's something like that um, or you might go yeah this is fascinating I want to stay in this world uh, and I'll work my way up now there may not be that many job opportunities but if I'm good enough I'll find one mm. uh, and I'll keep progressing because the thing about private equity firms is whilst they're you know, they're small enough that people can notice talent. Mm. So if you see somebody talented, you'll find things for them to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also a lot of P firms have grown enormously over the last 10, 15 years. And again, when you have firms that are growing, you find interesting um, things that people can do uh, and new things that people can do. Jobs mm. that didn't exist <laughs> four mm-hmm. or five years ago suddenly are, need to be done and you find yeah. the best qualified person to do them. Yep. And hopefully they're internal because they already know your culture, way of working, they know the people, they know how to get things done. Um, so that, that's the the pitch I'd give, but I'd be very honest about what there is and isn't available because I think mm. the worst thing you can do is persuade somebody to join, uh promising them something that doesn't exist because
1: yeah,
0: that that's a terrible recipe. Um yeah. and, and they yes.
1: yes, that's bad all round. Yeah. Thank you, Prem. I've enjoyed that chat. We're moving into quick fire, which I know you're very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got four questions that we ask every day on this podcast as a closing tradition. Um, first one, who has inspired you the most throughout your career? I've probably
0: learned a lot from people that I've worked with and, and specifically a few of my bosses over the years uh, and hopefully I'm still learning and sometimes now I find that I'm learning from people that I work with or work for me. So that's that's really important. Um, and it's often the softer skills that have the longer lasting benefits, which I think is the inspirational aspect of it. It's not necessarily what you learn technically or what do you learn as a, a piece of information. But it's um, it, it's what you learn from people. And one of the things I learned early was that, you, you know, if you believe in something, you should stand your corner on a project or an idea and really support it. Um, and not just go yes okay the boss wants to do something different and accept Mm. that but but be willing to challenge and I think the best bosses I've had have been really open to having that Mm. Um, having said that I I also really believe in collective responsibility so if you've challenged it and you've had a good debate about it uh, but the team or your boss has said right this is the way I think we should move forward now that we've all discussed it Then the other thing I really believe is you get behind that. Yeah. And then make, you know, you you sort of, you fully behind it and you commit to making that a success. It might not have been your original idea, but as long as you're in an environment where your idea was heard and explored and properly debated, if that's not what's chosen, I I sort of believe that you need to get behind that. And I I think what I've learned from the best people I've worked with is they've been open to challenge.
1: Mm. Mm. Really interesting. What is, the best book you've ever read?
0: Okay i will go give you two books because there's the best book that I've read that's not a business context. There's lots to learn in life from it but uh, my view on that is I really like a book called The Worst Journey in the World by Apsley Cherry Garrard and it was written in the 1920s Uh, and it's a book about uh, Antarctic exploration. Um, So Apsley Cherry Garrard and a couple of his Uh, colleagues were on Scott's expedition. He actually got sent back just before the final leg to the South Pole, which is why he didn't die, managed to write a book. Uh, But uh, the worst journey in the world is not the one where the whole of Scott's final team died, but a journey that they'd done in the previous Antarctic winter when they went looking for emperor penguins. And it is a really unbelievably horrific tale uh, of living at sort of minus 40 degrees in tents, in in a very inaccessible part of the Antarctic and how they nearly died but then chose again to go with Scott on you know the next Mm. Antarctic summer to do the same thing again um so it's hugely sort of inspirational and a story of resilience um and it you know it's written in a 1920 style but it's still very readable today
1: yeah uh okay book number two
0: Book number two is not a book, but uh, I have read it in a book format, which is Warren Buffett, a compilation of Warren Buffett's shareholder reports, which uh, a fascinating reading. They go back from the early 60s, uh, and they start off quite short because he's investing in a dodgy textile company in uh, in the northwestern United States, and then builds this enormous conglomerate of investments. Mm. I think what I love about it is it teaches you a lot about investment but it also is very well written and easy to read. So uh, I find it, you know, very entertaining, And, a, and a, but you learn lots of lessons along the mm. way.
1: Mm. I'm going to end on the big one. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received?
0: For, for me, per, and this is probably a personal one to me, but it probably is applicable to many people, is um, just because of my nature, I'm sort of prone to, analyzing things and wanting lots of data and then trying to come up with the right recommendation. So I'd probably wait too long to get there. Okay. And I think what I learned from this, from a couple of old bosses about how how to get things done is moving forward is really important. So if you don't have perfect information, you're never going to have perfect information. And the more senior you get, that, that's more and more true. So you're probably faced with uh, two good choices and you don't know which is better or two imperfect choices. You don't know mm. which is worse, but actually, it's far better to do something, and if that's not right, to reevaluate and to change course. Mm. But doing something is almost always better than doing nothing. So that's the piece of advice I'd give to people.
1: <laughs> I like it. On that note, thank you, Prem. We've enjoyed that well, chat. Let. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks, Lucy.
1: Thank you. If you'd like to listen to more insightful stories from the North Edge Network, you can search and subscribe to Beyond the Capital on any of your usual podcast platforms.